0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID 19 crisis and beyond. Hi, everybody, I'm Michael Cruise. More than 25 million people in the United States experience bladder leakage every day. And while the problem is more common in women, millions of men also confront this challenge. Well, today we're going to learn more about this condition and, more importantly, ways to treat it with Venita Gaglani, a registered physical therapist and owner of Venita's Rehab in Melbourne, Florida, who's treated more than 2,000 patients with incontinence issues in her 30 years of practice. She's also been an expert reviewer for osmosis content, including our popular video on incontinence. Venita is the author of two books Life After Radical Prostatectomy and Other Urological Surgeries. From Incontinence to Continence in 10 Weeks, and the newly released Life After Prostate Cancer and Other Urological Surgeries, a step-by-step guide to stopping urinary leakage in 10 weeks. Venita also has a special connection to Raise the Line, which we'll be discussing at the end of the conversation today. But for now, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Raise the Line team. I appreciate being here.
0: We've been looking forward to it. So as you probably know, uh, we always like to start these programs with asking our guests to talk about how they first got interested in their field. So what was it that uh, drew you to physical therapy?
1: So actually I applied to medical school and when I went to visit the college, I got snagged into the physical therapy department. And after that, I didn't look back, I just stayed there.
0: What was it about physical therapy that you liked?
1: I think it was seeing the change in a person, like, for example, if somebody couldn't walk, to see them take steps, go ahead in life, go back to normal life. You could see the process and you could see an outcome. And that really attracted me to it, that I could chart the progress of a person.
0: Which in a lot of areas of medicine, you really don't see progress.
1: It is difficult because it is so chronic. Most of physical therapy is acute where you can see the difference. And that is very satisfying.
0: Then why the focus on the pelvic floor and incontinence issues?
1: So I ended up having incontinence after a really bad birth. And it was not the leakage which bothered me. Most women are not bothered by leakage as much as men. It was the smell. I could smell it everywhere. It just drove me crazy. And I'm like, something needs to be done. So I started attending courses and classes on how to overcome this issue for myself. But as I worked at it, I found that a lot of people have this problem. So I started expanding my field into incontinence rather than regular therapy.
0: It is an issue that people are kind of embarrassed by and hesitant to talk about. As a practitioner, as a provider, particularly keeping in mind that we have an audience of medical students and early career professionals, what's your advice about speaking to people, making them feel comfortable, getting them to talk about this issue that they're embarrassed
1: about? I'm glad you brought that up. I think it starts from the primary care and from the students themselves. This is a topic which the patient will not talk about. So we lead them into conversation. Okay, tell me what's going on because they will never tell that they're leaking. So you say, are you going a lot to the bathroom? Then they'll say yes. Then we'll say, okay, what happens? Well, sometimes I cannot make it. So if the medical practitioner or the nurse or anybody in medical field, it can be a medical assistant. If they just talk to the person and they talk naturally, the person will respond and say, hey, I have it or my friend has it or my grandmother has it. And slowly they start speaking about it. Because as you pointed out, it's a very common issue. And I encourage whoever I meet to ask them, do you have an overactive bladder? Do you have leakage of urine? And then I follow it by, I am asking you this because it is very common. And once they realize it is not only them, then they start opening up. And then they come out and say, hey, this is happening or I'm leaking or I cannot make it to the bathroom, or if I stand up, the urine just comes out.
0: Well, that's, that's very important to make them feel comfortable, I'm sure. So when you first started your practice, you treated mostly female patients, but at a certain point that changed and uh, you focused on treating men mostly. Why did you make the change?
1: So forever, even till today, men have been ignored and they have an equal problem. I don't think it's any less. But it was always women, women have this problem, women have children, women grow older, women have leakage, it was never the men. And one day a gentleman called me and he said, he was 62 years old, and he said, look, can you just not see me? It is not fair. And I would rather just die because he literally had a penile clamp. He had a urinal and he's like, this is not my life. So I said, okay, come on in. Let's try it out. And in six weeks, he was back to work. Wow. Without a pad, without anything. And the best part of it was he didn't even have a prostate issue. He had something called a neobladder. A neobladder is a bladder made from the intestine. But it was very successful. He attended some men's group meetings with me. And then from there, I did not look back. It was men and now nine out of 10 patients are men of mine.
0: And of those patients, are people with prostate problems the most common?
1: They are uh, because they have few things going on. They have an enlarged prostate. They undergo all these different procedures. And then when they have prostate cancer, A, their prostate is removed, or B, they go for other factors like radiation or HIFU or other treatments. So almost always the prostate is affected in all these men.
0: Yeah, and why is that? Why is it so common that people with prostate treatment end up with incontinence issues?
1: Primarily because they don't know what to do. See, usually say a woman has, who's had breast cancer, every little thing is in order. The plastic surgeon, phone number is there. The big lady's phone number is there. They have a support group with men. After the surgery is done or after the treatment is done, they are left to hang dry, literally. Hmm. Like they don't know who to go to. There is no structure. There is nothing for them to follow. There are no guidelines to follow. So, of course, A, they ask their friend. B, they go to Google and try to find out stuff from Google. And as we know, you can learn a little bit from Google, but you really cannot resolve issues.
0: Right. And you can be led in the in a wrong direction as well.
1: Correct because the perception is different than reality.
0: Right. For the folks listening, that's a great uh, sort of gap that you've identified in the healthcare system that maybe folks can plug as they get into their careers. So I think probably a lot of folks are familiar with Kegel exercises as you know a first thing to try, but you've demonstrated with your patients that it takes more than that. So tell us exactly you know what your approach is and how you're able to get those kinds of results.
1: Right, so what happens is Whenever somebody has an overactive bladder or urinary leakage, the first thing people do is, or even the doctors, the urologists, the gynecologists, go do Kegels. Except A, nobody knows how to do Kegels properly. (laughs) B, a Kegel is not an end-all and be-all of a treatment. Uh, Let me give the analogy of weight loss. If somebody wants to lose weight and all they do is get on the treadmill and just walk, 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 they're not going to lose weight unless they have the diet, the behavior modification, and other factors put in to lose weight. Similarly, Kegels is not the end all and be all because we need to increase the bladder capacity because if your bladder capacity is low, you'll still look for bathrooms. B, I think what most people don't realize, and I'll go to the topic of men. In men, the pelvic floor has not been stretched. They have not had children and their pelvic floor is pretty much intact. What they lack is the endurance. The pelvic floor lacks the endurance to control the urine. So we have to focus on A, behavior modification, B, nutrition, C, increasing bladder capacity, the body mechanics, because what happens is that by nature, men tend to do things a little bit more strongly. Any any approach is a bit stronger, strong-armed approach. So when they do the Kegel, instead of doing it gently, they will do it very strongly. And what people forget is the pelvic floor muscle is small, like your hand muscles. If you keep working with your hand all day long, squeezing a ball, By the end of the day, your hand is pretty cramped up. So a lot of men, they keep squeezing and doing the kegel and doing the kegel. And what happens is their muscle gets fatigued. When their muscle gets fatigued, instead of holding, it just doesn't have the strength. It just lets go. And then they leak more.
0: Ah, so they and then they probably get very frustrated because they're doing their exercises, but it's not working, yeah.
1: Correct, so instead of getting better, they end up leaking more. So then they're really mad and they go to the urologist and say, I'm leaking more. And that is why only Kegels do not work. And it's the same in women. Only Kegels do not work. We have to have a multi-pronged approach, a complete approach to reducing leakage or overactive bladder or pelvic pain, anything with the pelvis.
0: So one thing you mentioned caught my interest, which is increasing the capacity of the bladder. How do you do that?
1: So what happens is a bladder is a muscle. And like any other muscle, it can shrink in size, it can enlarge in size. But what is the go-to technique of most people? I'm going to frequent to the bathroom so they stop drinking fluids. Well, when they stop drinking fluids, the first thing that happens is the bladder shrinks in size. It is just like people who have had stomach stapled. Well, as long as they keep the three ounces of food in them, they stay slim. The moment they start eating more, their stomach increases in size. It is a paradox because they think if I drink more fluids, I leak more. And that is where a physical therapist comes in. There are different methods and behavioral strategies. And each is individual to a patient. You have to customize it on how to increase the bladder capacity.
0: So give me an example of a patient, you know, where you've done that. What does it look like?
1: It is very difficult to convince people to drink more. (laughs) But yes, I teach them. I educate them. Education is a big key because if something is logical, people will do it. If they know why, if you just go and tell somebody do this, it's good for you. They are not going to do it. So I show them how the bladder enlarges, how fluid helps, how the kidneys are helped. And then they are more apt to follow the guidelines. There's a certain amount of trust involved too. Mm. And I must say the urologists who send me patients, they are very good. They just tell them, go to her, listen to her and then come back to me. (laughs) No matter what she says, you may not agree with what she says, but do it. (laughs) So that helps a lot because a, a urologist has much more power than me. And they're like, well, he said to come to you, so I'm going to do what you say.
0: Yes, right. That's wonderful. They come to you and they're already, in a sense, a mindset of trust. You also mentioned nutrition. So what are some of the changes that you have your patients make that help support this?
1: So what happens is the bladder is a very soft muscle. And a lot of bladder aggravants they irritate the bladder. So anything acidic that you eat, it irritates the bladder. When the bladder is irritated, it starts contracting When these contractions occur, the urethra tends to open and the pelvic floor tends to open and then you end up leaking because the bladder is trying to push out something which is not good for the body. So a lot of acidic food, a lot of sodas, as you know, they just irritate the bladder. So once we start controlling and changing the diet a bit and the lifestyle a bit, everything falls in place just like everything else, whether it's weight, whether it's running. And any factor, any uh, behavior change that you see, it requires a lifestyle change.
0: So there are some things to stop consuming. Are there things that you can consume that, are, that help the bladder in some way?
1: So we never stop anything because the moment you tell somebody stop this, they beca- it becomes non-compliant. But you kind of work with it so that they can see the benefit of it. Uh, what helps bladder, of course, is something like water definitely. And uh, milk, but many people are allergic to milk or lactose intolerant. So we have to figure out what they like and how to make them like something much more. So to get them to drink water, they all want to drink flavored water. Well, flavored water has a lot of chemicals and the body will reject those chemicals. So then we have to convince them that, hey we need this. And they're like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I'm already waking up 10 times a night, I'm already leaking. And now you want me to drink more water? Or you want me to drink more, uh, I don't know, lemon juice or something which they hate. So in both
0: books, it's a 10 week frame. How come?
1: So when I started working with people, I kind of started a protocol And it almost always, in 90% of the people, it takes about 10 weeks to achieve the goal. The goal is not to look for a bathroom, not to use a pad, to do any activity you want, whether it is, I don't know, pulling out a tree from the yard or biking or uh, mowing the lawn, should not leak, should not look for a bathroom. Because a lot of people, the bathroom becomes the end all and be all. All they think about is, and it's really bad, like when people have had prostate surgery, they tell me, they like my whole life is finding out at which point bathrooms are available so I can go change a pad. And that is very stressful for a person. Sure. So that is the goal ultimately, to be back to normal and not think about the bladder, not think about leakage, not think about finding a bathroom.
0: And that takes about 10 weeks. generally.
1: It takes about 10 weeks. I've tried to hurry it up. It's very rare.
0: That's interesting. It just sort of falls into that pattern. So I mentioned that you have, uh, your second book just came out in March, I believe. Tell us more about that and, and what you're hoping it accomplishes.
1: So the first book was done when I was to see patients who were little elderly, you know, late 70s, early 80s kind of patients, and they didn't go out much. They didn't do much. But over the years, prostate cancer has become more aggressive. So it started getting younger and younger population. The demographics started changing. People ended up being 50 years, 60 years getting prostate cancer, and they really cannot just stay at home and do nothing. I mean, they have to go to work, they have an active lifestyle. So I had to change the protocol significantly. And so when I, as I changed the protocol, And I added more intense exercises to incorporate their lifestyle. That is how the new book came about in being.
0: And was that the biggest change is is the amount of exercise, the intensity of exercise?
1: Intensity. And I added some more stuff. The old book doesn't have so much detail about the food and the bladder capacity and how body mechanics helps, how behavior strategies help. The second book is much more comprehensive. And my goal was that anybody who picks up this book, at the end of several weeks, they should be dry and they should not think this was a waste of my time and money. That was the goal of the book, that you should not regret buying it.
0: That's a good goal.
1: (laughs) It is a good goal and it works.
0: Yeah. To step back a second, there is a general sense, according to surveys anyway, that people think that incontinence is just something that happens with old age and you just have to accept it and live with it. What is your message to people who think that way?
1: That is totally untrue. Because if you look at nowadays, younger people have more overactive bladder. They don't realize it. They keep going to the bathroom frequently because what has happened is the demographics again has changed. But also when we grew up, we had probably one bathroom, several siblings sharing and family members sharing one bathroom. So we learned how to wait. A, B, our foods were different when we grew up. Uh, you know, we used to eat at home and we drank water. Ice cream was a treat. Now a person grows up with several bathrooms. And in the United States, there's a bathroom within 10 minutes. Anybody can find a bathroom. So they never learn how to hold the urine. So then they end up with the overactive bladder. Now, can they control it to a certain extent? Yes. But then they end up with some different consequences because they also stop drinking fluids. Then they end up with constipation or pelvic pain or frequency and urgency. In the older population, what happens is it's more an inability to hold the urine. We see nowadays, you know, 80-year-olds going to the gym, one of Shiv's investors, he ran half a marathon, 13 miles. He's 87 years old, <laughs> you know, Alan patrickoff 87, he ran half a marathon. We would never have thought about it possible several years ago. So, and there are, there's a 100-year-old woman doing yoga. There's some 70-year-old putting heavy weights So, and doing marathon. So, why is incontinence regulated to it's a problem of aging? nothing is a problem of aging, it can be addressed. Of course, there are certain factors which will prevent somebody from recovering. For example, if they have Parkinson's or they have cognitive deficiency, but that's like in any other field, you know, if if you have like medical issues where you cannot do activity, then you won't progress. But for, I think, 95% of the population, anything can be overcome once you follow a protocol and you Work at it diligently; it can be overcome.
0: That's a great message, and Shiv will be happy that you mentioned Alan Patricof as one of his favorite people. So, which gets us—he's to...
1: amazing. I just read his book.
0: Yeah, he really is amazing. Um, so that brings us to uh, Shiv. You've mentioned this character, Shiv, and I teased at the beginning that you have a special connection to raise the line in osmosis. do not you tell our audience what that is?
1: So, I have always been known as Shiv and Anushka's mom. (laughs) I have never been known as Vanita. They're like, oh, you're Shiv's mom. Oh, you're Anushka's mom. That is all people talk to me about.
0: We had Anushka on the show and her husband as well, who are uh, dentists in the Chicago area.
1: Yeah, they both are dentists. They have several clinics and Anushka and Shiv are very similar in nature. And Shiv, of course, like he's our son. And I still sometimes get fascinated looking at Cher about how this child is my child. In what way? Because he's just a unique person. And so is his sister. They both are unique people. And I look at awe because I don't think I was such a good mother, in all honesty. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, how did you two turn out like this? You know, I don't know. They're just good kids. And I am blessed. And my husband is responsible to a large extent for it,
0: too. If I was talking to your husband, he'd give you all the credit, I'm sure. Or he should, at least. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I have to say, uh, I think unique is a good word. You know, he has this personality, this love of connecting with people. And it's all about relationships, and it's all about being supportive. And for no return, it's not a quid pro quo situation. He just wants to be helpful to people. And as I was saying before we started recording, it's it's a, an ethic and an approach and an outlook that has infused itself throughout Osmosis, which makes Osmosis such a, an interesting and, and fun company.
1: Right. So he follows a little bit of the Bhagavad Gita, where it says, do your job. Don't expect any returns. You do because it's the right thing to do. Do something because that is what you're supposed to do, not for what I can get back. Just do it. That is your karma. Follow it and leave the rest to God or whoever you believe in. Just leave the rest. You don't worry about the reward. And that has been a ethic that they both have grown up with, that do the right thing, give a helping hand. Because really, to succeed in life, it gives more joy to help somebody than to get something back. And we have all learned that. When you give, you feel happier than when you get
0: Well, that's why he's such a happy guy, (laughs) because he gives a lot.
1: He does. He does. He is just, he just does things because he likes to do it. Right. It makes him happy.
0: Right. And he's a joy to work with, I should say. Thank you. Although you have to tell him for me that he needs to use his microphone more often than he does, but that's a separation. I will tell him that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, um, we're going to have to wrap it up here, but this has been really such a pleasure to talk to you. And I want to thank you very much for taking the time and wish you best of luck with the new book.
1: Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate being on this program. And most of all, I do appreciate the message. I don't think people realize how many people have this problem. And the more we talk, the more people will come forward. It is not supposed to be a stigma. If you talk about it, you can get help. So it is important to me that you have had me on this podcast. So thank you.
0: Well, you're quite welcome. It was our pleasure. I'm Michael Caris. I want to thank you as always for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org COVID-19. If you like this podcast, Please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org/raise the line podcast.